Hey, keto freaks. Here's an update on KetoFest. KetoFest is a ketogenic festival for everyone. Richard Morris and I, along with a host of keto rock stars you probably know, are turning the entire coastal town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic for a whole weekend next July. At least we hope it'll be next July. The actual date won't be confirmed until mid-January. You want talks by some of the hottest names in keto? Some of the best and brightest minds have already said they want to come, including Jimmy Moore, Megan Ramos, Ivor Cummins, Dr. Jeff Gerber, Dr. Eric Westman, and Dr. Ted Naiman. We hope to have a bacon bar going all day long during the talks. Knowledge and bacon. Ah. But we're going to do much more than sit in on these great talks. How about an outdoor pig roast? Cooking classes, fitness classes, walking tours, Segway tours, and of course, live music and hanging out with fellow Ketonians. Several restaurants and bars in the neighborhood have offered up a special keto menu that includes low-carb potables, chicken wings, and fathead pizza. Wouldn't a fathead pizza truck be the best ever? Yeah, I'm talking a portable brick oven all weekend long. Well, we're going to have a Kickstarter in March to sell tickets. Meantime, add your name to the mailing list at KetoFest.com. KetoFest, real keto for real people. Welcome back to a very special holiday hangout edition of Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet for almost three years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes, and within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Uh, where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. In mm. every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. <laughs> And this episode is no exception. That's right. So let's start podcast number 46, The Holiday Hangout. And Richard, welcome to the party. Yes. I think I'll just open, I think I'll just open one of my uh, zero-carb beers. <laughs> exactly. That's the sound of my wine glass right there. Oh, it's a very lovely party, and I do see that uh, Kim Howerton and Brenda Zorn are driving up the driveway right now. They're going to come in and join us in just a few minutes. Um, but awesome. before they get here, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? Uh, no, no, Carl. I think we have, uh, I think we did a perfect show last week. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. 
We're not going to do a perfect one this weekend, though. <laughs> no, this is the imperfect show. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is for the newbies out there. Sure. So it's uh, under 20 grams of carbohydrates yep. and no carb. uh, protein scales with your lean body mass. And we eat between one and one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Mm -hmm. And we get all of our energy from fat. Yep. And I saw something that Larry Lustig wrote in our new Facebook forum that uh, he said that uh, the easiest way to do keto is just eat what you regularly eat, but replace all of your carbohydrates with fat. You know, I had that same epiphany just a few days ago. You know, whatever you eat in carbohydrates now, that should be fat. And also, if you're going to follow uh, Stephen Finney's advice, make sure you're getting about five grams of salt every day. Right. And so they just walked in the door, Richard, Kim Howerton and Brenda Zorn. Hi, ladies. How are you? Awesome. Hey, how's it going? Brenda, how's your holiday shaping up? Oh, pretty good. It's, it was warm out today. It was 32 instead of minus 18 ah, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. Yeah. And in I, Minnesota. I think I heard Floyd the cat there say a few words. Was he right there, too? Um. There he is. <laughs> Kim, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm in California where it never gets as cold as Minnesota, so every day is a good day. You're not in California. You're at our holiday party. I, you know, I'm always in California in my mind. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Kim and Brenda uh, are hanging out today for a special two-hour show. Yeah. And we're just going to hang out and, you know, be with you on this Christmas day, which is when... Our show is being published, and so I want to know, people, how was your week? Richard, how, how was your week? Yeah, mine was pretty good, actually. I went to a meet-up, that's M-E-A-T-U-P, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Canberra, and uh, with a group of uh, 10 people, and uh, they're all keto uh, people, and we had... Now, I cooked for them the meal that I had as my recipe last week, which was... Uh, uh, pulled beef in beer, yeah, and uh, which which was really nice. And we also had somebody made a rabbit terrine, oh, uh, which with uh, unfortunately had liver, rabbit liver in it, so I oh. didn't oh. I didn't have much of that. <laughs> but but there was um, there was cauliflower gratin, there was uh, uh, lamingtons, which is an Australian dessert. That is a, and it was a low carb version of lamingtons made with almond meal, and so lots of uh, lots of low carb food, and uh, that was fun. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to a meet up with other keto people, and I had a ball. Oh, that's great! And other than that, interestingly, you pr probably know that I went on metformin again about three weeks ago. Yeah. Well, my appetite has decreased significantly. Really, and I, I'm back to losing about a pound a week. So wow, wow, nice. I've lost a kilo and a half since I went back on metformin. Isn't that great? So it turns out that it, you know, as long as you're in a in a fat adapted state, it's actually working really well. Yeah, it helps increase my insulin sensitivity and mm. depress the creation of glucose overnight. So, wow. um, you know, for me, it's it's doing really well and. Uh, um, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, uh, stay, I'll probably stay on metformin now for for maybe the rest of my life. But it was mm. nice to be able to go off it for four months and yeah. not see my blood glucose change. Yeah. So that if anyone ever says to me, "You're not really cured of diabetes because you still have drugs," I can say, "Well, I went off it for four months and my glucose didn't change." So. I love it. That's awesome. 
So that was my week. Kim, how was your week? <laughs> my week was pretty good. Um, I'm doing a lot of like holiday prep because ah. uh, it's mm. soon to be the holiday. Uh, mm -hmm. And w I come from a, a family that really likes Christmas a lot, um, which is interesting because we're Jewish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, well, half. Um, yeah. But uh, I think my mother married a Gentile mostly so she could, uh, you know, legitimately appreciate the Christmas tree. Um, but no, that's a total joke. Yeah. My father has many good qualities, not that. just the fact that he is not a Jew. Um, but we, <laughs> we um, now I've offended all sorts of religions. We're, no, no, no. This is the way a holiday party should go. Um, that's right. Is, uh, so it was a lot of just a lot of prep stuff, a lot of shopping. I love Christmas, too, so. Uh, mm. I, I cook the dinner for my family, my extended family as well. So figuring out what that's going to be. Yeah. What are you thinking? What are you thinking for well, dinner? Well, I got a call yesterday from my mom who was like, let's not do what we were planning on doing, which was going to be uh -oh. pork roast wrapped in bacon. My family is not keto, but I sort of push things in the keto <laughs> direction. Um, and we're now, I think, going to do braised chicken thighs in lemon and mm. olives. Oh. Ooh, lemon. Oh, that yeah. sounds good. Maybe some capers. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Like that acid. Um, I cook a traditional turkey for my small, intimate gathering at my house yeah. um, because I love the traditional stuff. But my folks don't really love it. So for them, we cook something else like the chicken. Okay. So yeah, so I get lots of chances to cook stuff. That's awesome. Hey, Brenda, how was your week? Oh, my week was pretty neat. I got to meet a couple um, of the, the two keto dudes, Facebook group admins, um, Cassie and Dustin Ewers. Oh, cool. Yeah, we met at an Outback Steakhouse. And they were in town to see a concert, and they knew I was nearby. So um, we... I'm not kidding you. We talked each other's ears off for three <laughs> solid hours. We we didn't we, we didn't want to stop. It was it is awesome to sit there and talk to people that are into the ketogenic diet as much as I am. Yeah, I, it was just fantastic to talk to them. I had a great time. It's it's really fun meeting people. I met Tom Cease last month down right. in St. Louis. Jelly. <laughs> Yes, and I got prime rib, and um, oh my god, Dustin got this ribeye. I don't, I think it was a twenty-two ounce, a bone-in tomahawk ribeye. Yeah, wow. Oh, it said it looked like it was huge, but it was awesome. And yeah, um, but otherwise, my week has been good. Uh, Christmas is coming up awfully fast, mm -hmm. but um, uh, I have my brother and my daughter over, and we have seafood. It's been traditional for us for couple two three decades so that's already keto so i'm good awesome clams and oh crab legs and wow. you know i i need to look up the nutrition information on escargot because we do do a little bit of that really? caviar yes oh yeah hmm. i looked it up the other day for some reason Did you? which was weird but I, now i can't remember it was you know it definitely fits within keto sure oh i'm sure i'm sure i mean because even I think squid has a few carbs, and but we usually do um, we do shrimp and we do a little caviar, and I just don't do it on crackers anymore. Hmm. We, there's always a lot of mussels and crab legs and things like it. Really, my house smells <laughs> at yeah. Christmas because of all the seafood I'm steaming. But but yeah, that's what we're that's what we're gonna do on Christmas. Cool. How was your week, Carl? 
Well, pretty good. You know, I also am anticipating the Christmas holiday. Um, not Jewish on my side, so it's all Christmas. However, there are a lot of agnostics and atheists and stuff, so it's always fun. You know, however, we really do treasure the traditions that we were brought up with. And, uh, and and so we have holiday parties like, you know, like this one where we just it's all about the people. Right. You get together and you talk. Yeah. And uh, I'm usually the guy that brings over the um, some really good hors d'oeuvres to my brother's house when we have the Franklin family Christmas party. And this time it's the day after Christmas. And what I did last year and the year before was I grilled some ribeye that were marinated in Asian uh, flavors. So you're talking soy sauce and uh, a little sesame teriyaki oil. sauce. Yeah, sesame oil, um, some ponzu nice. and garlic. And, uh, and I always used sweetener. I never really used uh, sugar. Mm. But actually, when I started doing it, I used a little maple syrup too. But I don't do that anymore, obviously. Yeah. So I marinate those and I grill them and then cut them medium rare into little cubes. And traditionally, what I have done in the last few years is put them with uh, boursin, which is a, a garlic and herb cheese spread, right? So think of like mm. a cream cheese with garlic and herbs in it. Nice. And that spread on a little uh, toast point with some of this steak and the sauce from the steak and you sort of dip the whole thing in the sauce and it was really delicious but oh wow yeah but this year i'm doing it on um cheese crisps i kind of figured cheese crisps would come into it what kind of cheese what kind of cheese oh the cheese crisps are always um asiago or oh yum a blend of parmesan romano and asiago That's the best. I like how we turn every part of any session into the recipe session. Oh, yeah. It's all about the food. <laughs> Especially at Christmas, right? And the holidays. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I want to know. And food is so central to holidays, and it's so central to what we do. And I constantly hear from people who are struggling and, you know, half-assing keto and, and whatever. Maybe they're half-assing low-carb. And they always say, you know, the holidays is the hardest part because, you know, I see that all of the, the cookies and stuff and I just got to have them. I said, well, you know, you're speaking like a sugar burner. But for me, right. uh, I don't have those cravings. And I, the more time I spend in ketosis, the less I want anything else. You know, After like, three years, I don't even think about that kind of stuff anymore. I mean, yeah. it's pretty liberating. I really don't. I don't miss any of those holiday foods. It's just so foreign to me now. Yeah, same here. Same here. I, I, I love the challenge of like what can not like what can I recreate, but like what can I make that's going to like blow that carb crap out of the water? Oh, totally. Like mousse, like fudge. Yeah. So many good things. It's not hard. Yesterday, for example, for lunch, and I told my mother this, and I love to brag to my mother about how well I'm doing and all the fat I'm eating, and she's horrified, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, so, guess what I ate yesterday? And she goes, oh, tell me. And I said, so, I had some chicken thighs that had been uh, brining overnight in salt water with garlic and, and onions and all of this great flavor. And I just took a couple of those things out and I pounded them with a hammer until they were thin, you know, like a half inch thin. And I breaded those in uh, a combination of pork rinds and Parmesan cheese that whizzed <laughs> yes, around in the food rind. processor. Yes. 
Yeah, and I fried that in deep olive oil and just like sizzled it in <laughs> olive oil and just got all that fat nice. and crusty, crispy goodness on there. Oh, yeah, and then I took some mozzarella cheese, like a quarter of an inch of mozzarella cheese, and I stuck that under the broil until it was all melty and stuff. And I took a little tomato sauce and splashed it on top. Yeah, I had two of those. That taunt your I mother. I had a big salad with like a cup of fattening blue cheese dressing. And that was awesome. Oh, and by the way, I know I didn't eat again for like eight hours, and I just had a piece of brie and a piece of pepperoni. And I woke up the next day, I lost a pound. Nice. <laughs> How was your Melba toast? Yeah, exactly. How's, how's that pretzel? Uh, well, I do find it amazing that I hover over a deep fryer filled with beef towel, frying anything that I can think of. Oh. And I'm not gaining any weight, and I'm staying in ketosis. It's just amazing to me. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone else get like confused? Like I see people come on the keto boards and they'll be like, I have, I can't get this much fat. I can't eat this much fat. I can't get it in. How do you, and I'm like, what language is this you speak? I don't understand why it is like, I don't, it was never hard for me to eat enough fat to like feel happy and good and satisfied. I had this experience with somebody just hours ago. I ran into him and he says, help me, Carl, to figure out what to do here. Because I, I just, I guess it's the carbs. I got to cut out the carbs. Like, yeah, it's the carbs. He <laughs> said, but I just don't know if I can eat all that stuff. I'm a busy guy. I'm on the go. I can't. And I said, here's what you do. Cook a pound of bacon, throw it in the fridge. And when you get hungry, take a little cream cheese, spread it like a cracker. And he's like laughing at me. He's like, ha, oh my God, I don't think I, I can do that. I movie theater in a bag, Carl. I don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> Purse bacon. Purse bacon. Remember purse bacon. Yes. Purse bacon. <laughs> yes. But but he was horrified at that thought. Like, oh yeah. my God, I couldn't do that. And you know, it's right. just like people have this, like we said last week, conventional wisdom that that's bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a problem, I think, for people that like you just have it ingrained. Like I was talking with somebody the other day about you know, and she didn't want to do keto really, but she was like, I want to do like higher fat and lower carb and which is, you know, a mm. legitimate thing if you don't have really problems with your insulin, I think, to yeah, do. Sure. I think it's, you know, and, um, but I was like, okay, so like avocado is great. And she was like, I can't eat avocado. And I was like, uh, you don't like avocado? And she's like, no, like I literally have a panic attack while I'm eating avocado because all I can think about is, oh my God, there's so much fat in this. And I was like, dude, it's an avocado. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's okay. It is a real problem. People are afraid to eat fat. Fatophobia. Especially butter, butter, bacon. Oh my God, my cholesterol is going to go off is what their brain wants to think. I mean, they yeah. really still believe that. There are even low-carb people who are anti-fat. They, they uh, mm. you know... They have a conniption when you when you talk about adding fat to food, right? And uh, it's just it's it's more uh, it's more fat phobia, isn't it? I think it is. I think people like it's just it's so hard to lose that indoctrination about like what is quote unquote healthy, and it's right. it's horrifying in some ways because like I was listening to somebody talk the other day who um, was running a food company, like he he did like meals, um, and he was saying that to to put the healthy label on their food, they had to up the carbs so that the fat would be a lower percentage right. of the total calories. I saw that oh, too. Oh, no, you're kidding. Yeah. To fit in the category of quote unquote healthy. And he was like, uh, I was horrified. Yeah. I'm horrified. Because now I've got an, un I'm making the product increasingly unhealthy so that I can label it 
healthy. Right. Yeah. It was the whole system screwy. That is screwy. I remember when when Marty was on, he was talking about uh, uh, cereals, making cereals low glycemic index. Oh, right, by adding sugar. And- by adding sugar, because <laughs> sugar has a glycemic index half of, uh, of uh, pure glucose, because it's only half glucose. That's right. And, uh, you know, the, all of the grains in there have, have a glycemic index pretty much of 100. Oh. It's incredible. Unbelievable. So I had this, I, and this is the problem, I had this conversation with my mother's boyfriend today, who's, you know, 80 years old, but, you know. He says, you know, I just have a problem trusting anybody, because... You know, you you see so many differing opinions and doctors have differing opinions and there's so many products out there that claim to do this and claim to do that. And they don't they don't you know, how do you know who to trust? And I said, well, that's why you have to do the research. Right. You've got to show people how to do the science, I think. No, no, you're you're right. And it just speaks to your to my frustration that, you know, it you, we're shouting into the void because we're right. lumped in with everybody else who's got this the solution and the silver bullet. No, no, listen to me. Right. You're you're trying to tell them and they're looking at you like you're crazy and I'm like, No, really, listen. Okay, um here, go to this website. I mean Right. You know, they're not going to just, yeah, they're not going to just take, especially perfect stranger <laughs> yeah. that might, might ask me about it. The other day was when I was bringing up the topic of, you know, you can't really believe that, you know, the doctors don't really all know a lot about this kind of subject. <laughs> Somebody turned to me and said, are you a conspiracy theorist? Ah, that's funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, well. no, please don't lump me in that bucket. Yeah, um, no. You know, but it's but it, it's uh, it's hard to find a balance between like trusting science and also knowing that science, like being a believer in science, means that you don't listen to dogma over experience and you know, what's actually happening. It also means you have to be willing to change your mind when new evidence comes to light. Right. Yep. And we've done, through the course of our show, Richard, we've had our, mm. we've been schooled a couple of times, you know. We sure have. We, yeah, absolutely. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no. that's that's the nature of science. And the death of science is guidelines. Right. You know, when somebody says, here are the guidelines, follow these, Oh, okay, well, what happens when the science disproves the, or, or improves the guidelines? The guidelines have to change, and you have to be willing to change your behavior based on them. You've got to be open-minded, absolutely. It's such a challenge. I think, you know, just the, the way brains are, we mm. categorize information. Like, humans are comfortable with um, informational stability. Yeah. Like, we feel That's good right. about our world when it's stable. We want answers. And, and when we don't have answers, we make shit up. Right, and then we <laughs> stick to it. Yeah. So, I, I, it's not right, but it's mine. Um, yeah. You know? Uh. And, and it's it's hard to, to break up that, like, congestion around idea formation. So the best thing to do is just try it, you know? Yeah. And that's that's what we have all done and people see the results and n- then they want to know what you did. So lead by example. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that feels like a, a point where we can pause and uh, read some mail. Mail times four. If you can get Floyd to say mail, you get like ten bucks from everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm really trying. He's looking at me. <laughs> that is awesome. You put some bacon in the mail. <laughs> 
All right, who wants to go first, ladies? Well, I can I can jump in with some mail. Okay. So uh, there was a message on our a question on our Facebook group. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Caught my eye, not so much because it was such a unique question, but because it was such a common question. Uh, it was from BK, but it could be from everyone because this question is asked at least once a week or more. Mm. Uh, and the question was, um, how many fat bombs can I have a day? Um, <laughs> and we, we get that question a fair amount because I think... Uh, there's a thing that happens when you have something that's amazing, like mm. a fat bomb is mm. often, um, that flies both, one, in the face of the anti-fat dogma, and right. two, yeah. um, in the face of the pleasure is not good for you dogma. Um, yeah. If it tastes good, it can't be good kind of thing. Um, right. And so on that end, the question uh, pokes a lot of uh, hot buttons. And then on the other end, it also brings up an issue that a lot of us come into keto with, which is um, uncontrollable eating. Yeah. So it's mm. one of my, so I eat keto sweets. I eat whatever sounds good that fits in my personal plan. Mm-hmm. And if that feels like a sweet keto treat works for me that day, then I will have one. Um, but I have a rule that if any food provokes the feeling in me mentally it's not really a physical thing but a mental feeling of um i can't stop eating these or i don't want to stop eating them Mm. then i stop eating them yeah yeah good Um, i i don't include in my diet what i would call trigger foods yeah um things that trigger uh an impulse to uncontrollably eat now the good news is the last time i had that experience uh it was four cookies before I was like, okay, I'm done. I still didn't like, that was our keto cookies, by the way. Keto cookies, yeah. I still yeah. didn't like the feeling that I wasn't happy with one or two. Yeah. They had stopped tasting good at two. Like, they started tasting like nothing but just something I wanted to mm. put in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when that experience happens, I think it's super important to pay attention and stop. Um, and then maybe not readdress that food for some time until you're further into your keto journey. Or stop yeah. and have something else that doesn't do that. For for me, right. brie and pepperoni are my go-to hunger stoppers, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, totally. So there's like a complex answer to this very simple and often jokey question of how many of these can I have? And the first right. one is, you know, see how you respond to them. Um, and if you can have one or two and be happy for the day with it, they're, they're probably a food you can find a way to incorporate into your, into your diet. Yeah. Um, if you have a response that's more alarming um, or more like your pre-keto days with food binging, then perhaps they should get tabled for a while. I think it all comes down to mindful eating. I mean, yeah. this is one of the things before keto, I was eating mindlessly often. Um, right. right. Just shoveling it in. And um, it, since going keto, I've been able to... Uh, contemplate the process of eating while I'm eating, yeah. thinking, "What is this that I'm? What is this doing for me? Uh, you know, uh, how am I feeling about this?" And 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 I think that's an important um, it's an important step to get to in your, right. in your journey. And we should preface this by saying, you know, the people who aren't experiencing that, it, it sounds like you know something that's unattainable for you. And Maybe. we're just saying that it it, it comes naturally. It just happens. It's not anything that you have to work at. 
most of the treats I fix are really high fat. Um, yeah. Most of the, like, uh, they call them fat bombs. I don't like to call them fat bombs. I, I like calling them keto candies. And <laughs> I make <laughs> I make chocolate and, you know, with coconut oil and 99% chocolate and, yeah. you know, extracts mm, and things. Yeah. And um, But I actually do get to the point where I feel like I've had enough. You know that feeling you get when you sure. have quite a bit of fat and you're just like, oh, yeah, I definitely don't want any more fat. I'm right? done, yeah. That happens to me with um, the chocolates that I make, the fudge that I make, and uh, the mousse that I make with the heavy cream. And I'm glad, because otherwise, I definitely could overdo that kind of thing. But I do get to the point where I definitely don't want any more. I got to tell so. you, Kim, that um, chocolate mousse, you know, my chocolate mousse that yeah. blew up on Facebook is like, oh, my God, I have to make this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is one of those foods for me that I can totally overeat. Yeah. And, and I had to stop making it because it was just too much. Yeah. When, before I went keto, I really tried the intuitive eating movement. If you guys are, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it's, it's a kind of a fairly popular movement, uh, around food, people recovering from over, like from diet mentality where they're like, you know, have the cookie, yeah. uh, you know, eat what you're, you're craving, but then listen to your body. And I'm like, I bitch, I'm listening to my body. And it says, have another cookie. You know? <laughs> well, I think there's a difference between hunger and we talked about this before and carb craving, which is more like right. a drug addict's response to cocaine. Right. Totally. It, it, and it's I noise. was an addict and I couldn't do it. And I was so frustrated with myself that I couldn't make the, you know, and they'd be like, just stay on it, stay on it, keep trying. And I was yeah. like, this is never going to go away because it's chemical. And the thing is, Kim, mm -hmm. is that now intuitive eating works. When you're keto adapted, it works totally. Completely. It's right. amazing. I'm yeah. like, I don't want food right now because right. I am not hungry. This is a new process. That happened to me last weekend where I was like doing a bunch of work. Moving I, I posted about it. I was moving literally hundreds of books around in my library at my house and I stopped and I could not remember the last time I ate now yeah. <laughs> you know ha having been diabetic and everything that was just that's a place that I never thought that I would be at again and I had to stop and think yeah. when when okay when did I eat oh yeah I had a espresso with heavy cream in it this morning mm. it's 10 o'clock <laughs> at night you know it, it's just it's awesome plus I'm not food is food obsessed right yeah I'm, which it's just it's been about almost three years for me and yeah. it just keeps getting better but that still amazes me that's happened before but when it happens it still amazes me that I'm not thinking about the next meal focused on food I'm not feeling hungry that is a miracle right there so what I think the issue is here is we think as sugar burners when we're starting keto that you know, that this is the way we're going to be hungry and the way we're going to feel the, about food for the rest of our lives. You know, that we don't yeah. we don't think it's going to change, but it really does change. And you yeah. don't have to work at it. All you have to do is stay in ketosis as long as you possibly can. And the more time you do... That's the magic, yeah. That's the magic. The more time you do that and the fewer lapses you have, the sooner you're going to get to that magic place of fat adaptation, keto adaptation, whatever they call it where you just are in control and you don't you're not hungry all the time and and you're uh, you're not a slave to uh fast food and all the other evils of uh modern civilization sure yeah yeah it, it's it's so hard to believe that i mean it is from the time i was sort of entering puberty at nine 
to the time I started keto at 39. Mm. Like I had been not in control of yeah. my cravings and hunger. Me too. And I just didn't, it just didn't occur to me that it could actually ever work for me. And then right. boom. Yeah. I remember going to my doctor and saying, look, I think there's something wrong with me. I, I am hungry and I've reached the physical capacity of my stomach. I cannot eat any more food. I cannot fit any more food in. And yet I crave food. I remember when you talked about that before. That is so sad. And, and he, he didn't recognize that and help you with it right then. Yeah, I, got, I did an MRI uh, to see if there was... Because he thought maybe there's a, a tumor or maybe there's something that we can a look blockage. at your... your yeah, oh, wow. or, or really? something. Uh, something. Something, a tumor in there that, that just is craving because food. Because you're hungry and, and you, kept, you wanted to eat because you were hungry, so you ate more. And yeah, you literally, right. your stomach couldn't hold more and you're still... Hyperphagia, it's called. There was a lot of self-hate for me because I did oh, yeah. think it was my fault. Of course, they kind of talk to you when well. you go in. So much they shame. shame you. They yep. do shame mm. you when you go in, and they then they say, "Well, have you been eating your whole grains? Well, have you been following the diet that the uh, diabetic center <laughs> gave you? Have you been exercising? <laughs> have you been eating vegetables and fruit? You know, yeah. it's like oh, stuff you. You know, just I totally have been doing everything you say, and I'm getting sicker. You know." Here's oh. the thing: the doctors concentrate on what you should eat and not on what you shouldn't eat. Right? Do you know? It's more yeah, important that you omit the things that are causing you problems than you add the things that are supposedly helping you. And vitamin C is a perfect example, right? Fruits and vegetables. You got to eat your fruit because all the antioxidants. Somebody tweeted me just the other oh. day and said, I'm trying to have this argument with my doctor who insists that I eat fruit so that uh, I'll get all the antioxidants and all, all of that and non-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory properties. And I said... Well, the reason you're so inflamed is because you're eating so much fruit. <laughs> so, of course, you need more anti-inflammatory stuff. But, but how about addressing right. the cause of inflammation, which is high carbohydrates, you know, right. which fruit is essentially high carbohydrate food. You know, I had, a, I had a clue into this process early in my life that I didn't put the pieces together on. But I remember um, when I would have a big meal and I would feel really like over full, like yeah. in a way that didn't feel mm -hmm. good, which was a regular, regular oh, occurrence yeah. in my life, may ah, I say, ah, not ah, just ah. on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and I would have a piece of candy and I would feel less full. Um, Interesting. And Weird. my suspicion is I was spiking my insulin. Hmm. Yeah. So and disposing that, of all the glucose. In your, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah it, Exactly. So it, it's it's a way that like, huh? I'm I'm not hungry. I hmm. eat something high in sugar, and suddenly I'm I'm hungrier again. You guys, before keto, how many of you guys after you ate a meal would get really really sleepy and didn't oh. understand why? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I know it. I know it happens to a lot of people, especially diabetics, but. I didn't understand why that happened, and it got to the point where um, I was almost teased about it because, like, oh, now you're gonna go comatose. Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, before keto, I was just tired, kind of all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I had so much fog um, from just spiking blood sugar and carb coma. Well, you know that it's funny that you brought that up, guys, because the email that I'm gonna read is addressing just that from a guy who um, isn't diabetic and yet had all of those symptoms of tiredness and all that. Listen to this. 
So this is from uh, actually an early user of our forums, which opens today, which we'll talk about, ketogenicforums.com. So this is from somebody called Stupid Robots. <laughs> and this person said, I was never morbidly obese. My peak weight was 227 pounds at 5'8", putting me at a BMI of just under 35. Uh, I was never diabetic. I never had my toes amputated. I never had surgery or lost any teeth. I never had to take medication to control my blood pressure or blood sugars. I was never diagnosed hypothyroid, adrenal fatigue, or autoimmune. My weight never stopped me from doing everyday activities, but I woke up tired every day. I had no energy. I had no libido. I was depressed and hungry all the time. I was going up a pant size every six months or so. My back hurt, my neck hurt, I got nosebleeds, I got headaches, I got all manner of digestive trouble, I fell asleep driving. Yikes! Oh! Yikes. Something was definitely wrong with me and was getting worse. That was just over five years ago. All of those conditions that I never got, I know I never got them because I discovered the ketogenic diet. My food addiction and poor handling of blood sugars had me on a path to poor health and early death. I'm so glad I discovered this way of life in my mid-20s. Wow, mid-20s. Oh, yeah, well done. Yeah, instead of my mid-60s before the damage was too bad to be undone. I know bacon and butter saved my life, and I'm so happy that communities like this are getting the message <laughs> out there. Wow, smart guy. And, at, at mid-20s? Wow. Yeah, how about that, huh? That's something. I know one of our mods, Donna, commented that she would ha gladly give up a few toes if she could have realized this in her 20s instead of in her 40s. Yep. And I think it was Cassie Ewers, who you met, Brenda, this week, yes. who said toes are better than french fries, and we made a shirt out of it. And I wear it all the time, and people <laughs> ask me, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> That's a great conversation starter. You know, the thing that I'm most, I mean, I love that I'm not as big. I love that I'm not as unhealthy. Um, I think the thing that I love the most maybe is how not constantly traumatized, like tra traumatized I find my mental experience. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and if I could have not, if I could have saved myself the mental suffering of my weight and health in my twenties, gosh, I would probably be like a CEO of <laughs> an enormous fancy company at this point. Um, so just that frees up so much mental bandwidth. It does, doesn't it? I mean, I I totally agree. I'm Richard and I are both computer programmers, and our yeah. our success is measured on our productivity. And mm -hmm. uh, productivity, my productivity has gone through the roof since I since I can just sit down and work straight for six hours or eight hours in a day and do what would have taken me three days before. Yeah, one of the things that I'm trying to do these holidays is to organise for all of my nieces and nephews to get a, a insulin test uh, around about their 25th birthday mm -hmm. and then every 10 years after and to try and give them the opportunity to find out in their mid-20s what I had to wait until I was 38 to find out, yeah. and that is... Yeah, a correct insulin assay? Yeah, so what I want to do is to get them to do a, an oral glucose insulin response, which is a, or OGIR, which is what we know of as the craft test. Uh, not a lot of labs know about it, and so we may have to do the ghetto one, you know, where you, 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 you have a sneaky, you, you fast overnight, then you have a sneaky uh, 75 mil of glucose, and then go in and do your test two hours later and, 
and that's like that that is diagnostic for most people what i really want to do is because these kids all share my dna and uh we all my grand my grandfather was diabetic and only discovered this in the last eight years of his life and my uncle is diabetic and i'm diabetic it, it runs in the family and so here's the opportunity to discover the hidden diabetes by doing this insulin assay test maybe 20 years before their glucose goes crazy it's a good idea because it means hopefully you can find out like stupid robots did uh, in your 20s and you've got a lot of opportunity to correct things before the damage is done you know richard that's really great and you talked about the the sort of quote-unquote ghetto version of uh doing the craft <laughs> insulin assay and yeah. dr craft version <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Kraft was the, uh, a guy who figured out how to predict where uh, you are along the spectrum of diabetes or very early sure. on, something like 25 years beforehand, you can detect it, right? Yeah, 15 or 20 years, yeah. Yeah, and we did a show about this with Ivor Cummins called Mad as Hell. I remember that, yeah. And this is episode 27 of Two Keto Dudes. Why aren't they doing that then? It's standard medical care. Why? They don't know about it. No, they don't know about it. You're right. And uh, this, is, this is a great thing that you can do. Essentially, what you do is you take a whole bunch of glucose right before you get your blood tested and your, your, your insulin tested, right? Yeah, so what you, what you do for the, for the proper oral glucose uh, with insulin response, they, they give you a 75 mil of glucose and then they test you every half an hour for five hours and they graph that. And Dr. Kraft was able to find five patterns, and if you fit within one of those five patterns, he can tell you what your likelihood of developing diabetes is 20 years down the road. But the ghetto version, what you do is you, uh, you, t you have the glucose, the 75 mil of glucose yourself, two hours before getting a regular fasting insulin. And the fasting insulin, if you are over 30 milli units of insulin per liter, uh, then you are definitely hyperinsulinemic. If you are under, then you are likely good, likely not uh, normal insulin. Um, but there is a there is a, a few people for whom you really should do the five hour test. But the the, the thing it really is for my for my nieces and nephews. Have you uh, have the 75 mil of glucose, two hours later go get a test. If you're over 30, then do something about it. And that something about it is just reduce the amount of carbohydrate in your diet. If you get it when you're in your 20s, you only have to reduce your carbohydrate uh, to, to a, a moderate amount and you should be fine. If you wait until you're in your 40s or 50s, you have to go ketogenic and you have to fast and you have to do all of these things. You have to do lifting and you have to do exercise and you have to really work very hard to get yourself back to a, a position of health. Now, those tests, though, I've heard, and this was my experience with my doctor, those those ranges are really for glucose burners, for people that are still on carbs, um, and that your results from an insulin test, uh, a glucose tolerance test, might not be the same if you've been low-carb or keto for a while. Is that true? Yeah, if, you, if you've been keto for a while, then what happens is uh, your body uh, becomes really good at burning fat 
and all of your cells decide, hey, we can burn fat and we're getting a lot of it, so we're going to become good at that and we're going to reduce our ability to deal with glucose so that the brain gets the majority. So it's really glucose, mm. it's a glucose sparing adaptation mm. that your body goes through. Uh, but it looks very much like uh, you're not producing any insulin to the doctors who are doing the insulin assay. So if you are keto, uh, what you really have to do is you have to go non-keto, eat a regular amount of glucose, at least 150 grams of glucose every day uh, for two or three weeks prior to the oral glucose insulin response. That's the only reason I haven't done it because I just I don't want to eat 150 grams of glucose. Oh, I don't <laughs> want to do that either. My doctor was like, uh... Well, I could give you the glucose uh, test, you know, the insulin assay test. She's like, but why don't we not and say we did and just, <laughs> and just say that you are hyperinsulinemic yeah. because you seem to be yeah. and yeah. you're keto already. So the solution we'd have for you when you prove to be hyperinsulinemic is to do what you're doing now. Yeah, right. Pretty cool. Yeah. I like your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, it's interesting that you plan to do this with your 25-year-old cousins and things, but the yeah. you know, this is a great thing to do, but you also have to convince them that you know what you're talking about. And how do you do that? Uh, use big words. <laughs> I suppose, you know. I don't but know. I think that's the biggest problem I have with my family members is they all think I'm crazy. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> so my father is a doctor. It, He's retired. He's a, an, an anesthesiologist, or in Australia we call him an anaesthetist, but I think in America an anaesthetist is an anesthesiological nurse. No, it's a religion, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bless you. Because <laughs> <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> so, uh, so he's an anaesthetist, and uh, he's retired now, so I had to convince him. And once I'd convinced him, then it became easy because he saw the logic and said, right, mm. yeah, I get it, that's what we're going to do. Now, the interesting thing was my grandfather, who was diabetic in the last eight years of his life, was a physician, a, an old, you know, a regular general practitioner. And in his era, uh, you used to be able to get olive oil from the pharmacy and doctors used to prescribe you to eat olive oil or cod liver oil and they would prescribe dietary treatment. You said that on the last show, yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. And in my father's era, they lost that focus and they focused instead on surgical interventions and pharmaceutics. Mm. So, mm. you know, it's kind of sad, but it's it's good to see them get back to uh, uh, considering diet as a treatment for some of these horrible diseases. When, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my second pregnancy, they uh, did a glucose, I'm sure it was called a glucose tolerance test. This is 29 sure. years ago, so I'm not going to remember real well. Mm. But what they had me do is, is come in and I would drink some kind of horrible glucose syrup, and then they would test me, and then I'd drink some again, and they'd test me. And they didn't find a problem, but do you know what they were doing then? I mean, do you think that was some type of... They were testing, I suppose, for... Gestational diabetes. Right, right. Uh, but they didn't find a problem. It's pretty common with pregnant women to get tested for gestational diabetes. And gestational diabetes is diabetes, type 2 diabetes that you get during pregnancy, that the mother yeah, gets, right? Yeah, it's type 2 diabetes that you get during pregnancy when you weren't diabetic prior to right. pregnancy. Right. And it is correlated, apparently, with post-pregnancy at some point actually developing diabetes. Ah. Um, and also your children as well. Yeah, if you're if you have di if you get gestational diabetes, you have a higher chance of later in life developing non-gestational diabetes. Right, and I had a sister that 
that definitely had gestational diabetes. But yeah, I was found to be normal, you know, before, during, uh-huh. after. But you know, you know, <laughs> but I definitely developed diabetes later. But I mean, this we're talking age twenty-four. What about your daughter, Brenda? How how is she on the diabetes spectrum? Um, so far, fine. So far, hmm. health is fine. But that you know, what Richard is doing for his did you say nieces and nephews? Yeah. I'm definitely interested in uh, in having my daughter check this out for herself to see um, if there's if, if there if there's could possibly be something she could alter to avoid you know the issues later like I've had. I mean yeah. I'm 53, but I didn't really start to develop any serious issues until probably my early 30s. So I and I didn't even have a lot of extra weight on either until at least my late 20s. So I had no idea what was coming. I wonder if anybody can imagine what, you know, besides um, the people who have been doing ketogenic eating for 20, 30 years, I wonder if anybody really knows what it's like to go through their teens and and all of that eating, uh, you know, not eating sugar and eating less carbs and eating more fats and proteins and just doing that without having first have gone to the extreme that we all have. And, you know, what if, if that is a different feeling or or measure of health or whatever um we have a couple people in our facebook group that have done that Um, yeah there are some people raising keto kids too and that you know that's interesting to see their trajectory well amber o'hearn we're gonna have to watch her kids as they grow up and see how they do that's very very interesting to me because she's interested in low carb for her children from that podcast that's what it sounded like that she's doing that zero carb meat only yeah carnivore yeah, that's fine. That's great. I'd love to see what happens. I developed PCOS by the time I was 15 years old. That's when I was wow. diagnosed with it. Um, oh, wow, Kim. Yeah, and and that is, you know, that was directly related to, you know, being insulin resistant. And at the time, nobody mentioned a word about insulin. It right. wasn't until yeah. my late 30s that I figured out or heard the the link between PCOS and insulin and you're issues. You're the one that taught me about that. I didn't even know that. I was just blown away that it's related to insulin resistance. Yeah. I did not know PCOS was. And yeah. one of my daughters has PCOS and yeah, she developed it at a young age as well. Yeah, I, I was, you know, with with early I had an early onset of puberty which was probably related in part to having high body fat as a kid that can so if a girl has very high body fat as she enters into her early preteen years, will often have early onset puberty. And then yeah. the earlier you have puberty, sort of you get this cascading effect where your hormones get super out of whack because you're, it's like you're, you're not mature enough in certain ways um, mm. biologically to handle the onslaught of hormones that are now descending (laughs) upon you like I spent like the year I was nine I didn't think I stopped crying like it was you know it was the it was the rarity that I wasn't oh let's give Kim a group hug group hug hug. (laughs) this really shows how different we all are because as as a child as a baby as a child as a teenager um I probably I was very very lean and uh athletic uh swimmer track team, all that kind of thing. Um, and I still, I developed diabetes. It wasn't because I just sat around all the time and ate stuff. It was, right. it was, it's absolutely genetic. And I used to blame myself, but now I know that um, this is something that was going to happen if I ate the standard American diet. I just didn't know. 
And yeah. I, th- I think I'm 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 still mad as hell. I probably always will be. <laughs> Should I be. think? Well, yeah, yeah, I think that when you know they they the at my physical, the doctor first discovered you know that my uh, my fasting blood glucose was going up, and they said you're pre diabetic, and they sent me to the um, what do you call the American Diabetes Association? Uh, oh yeah, nutrition training classes. It's training you how to be more diabetic. Yeah. <laughs> I had to sit with other people while they pla- passed around these little pieces of plastic food serving so they could show you serving sizes. And it was all about eating a certain amount of fruit, a certain amount of grains, and eating six times a day, three snacks, three meals. I think it was almost 140 grams of carbohydrate. Um, and that just made me sicker. But it, it, it just really pisses me off because I was oh, yeah. a lean, healthy, athletic child. It's it, it you know this insulin resistance is in my family big time. I have four siblings and they all have some form of metabolic syndrome. So and my mom just had an abnormal A one C. So yeah. you know it, it's it's nothing I did. It's not my fault. No. And if somebody had told me, I could have I could have prevented a lot of this. And I just got sicker with, with the protocol that doctors use now. Yeah. I, I always love to bake, and so I, you know what one of my very first cookbooks was? Because it was the, well, was it the 80s or the 90s? It was probably still the 80s. Um, it was uh, Chocolate and the Art of Low-Fat Desserts. Oh, oh. right. I, I still have low-fat cooks around here. I want to have a bonfire. I still it have some around here. It was all about how to make chocolate low fat and I'm like no wonder I was just making myself incredibly ill because it was like how much sugar can we stuff in a dessert so that it's still palatable I have these Terrible two books it, it's it's called um I don't remember who wrote them but they're, they're part of the bonfire pile uh low fat uh, <laughs> so fat no fat something like that and it was just tons of recipes in there about how to make all these foods with no fat in them it's just horrifying yeah. when I look at it now. Incredible. And then she came out with another book, and I bought that one, too. Ugh. Yeah. You know, I don't <laughs> blame the doctors for this because uh, they really ceded control over the territory of diet to yeah. dietitians and nutritionists. Yeah. So the doctors really aren't allowed to say anything about diet. And if they do, like Tim Noakes or Gary Fetke, the dietitians drag them through the muck. You know, it's not the doctor's fault. I mean, they they don't quite... A lot of doctors don't quite understand how diabetes works. I remember the one that I went to, they, they wanted me to eat uh, 300 grams of glucose a day. That was the diet. And it was a weight loss yeah. diet. They were, they were focusing <laughs> me on reducing my calories yeah. while increasing my whole grains and fruit and vegetables. <laughs> it's so easy in this keto world to kind of get direct your ire at the doctors but yeah. i totally agree with you that i mean for every doctor i've ever met who do i get angry at i'm angry at somebody every doctor i've ever met got into it because they care about people and they want to make them healthy yeah and- that's the thing we really have to realize that we are on the we, we are changing the doctors right we're right. the ones who are willing to do the science on ourselves and to see the sure. results for ourselves. And doctors need that example. So so don't underestimate the power that you have to change the world, Brenda, and everybody else. You My are, lab results, yes. Yes, you are an instrument of change. <laughs> and, and guess what? People are going to be resistant to it. You just have to gently guide them to the truth, and they will come around. It's just inevitable. Gently. 
No F words? Okay. <laughs> Speaking of that, Brenda, you have a, an email to read as well, right? Oh, right, right. Um, yeah, we are in the mail segment, actually. <laughs> it's still. It's you know, when you, ever ha- when you have the keto ladies on, we get a little off track. Uh, hey, guilty. I'm, I'm with, with you. <laughs> Richard and Richard's I are just. Fault. It's definitely Richard's fault. Okay, That's why Richard's it's a two hour show. Australians. <laughs> I have one a post in the Facebook group that, um, that we really had a lot of fun in yesterday. Yeah, we did. Jason wrote uh, Is baby corn low carb? And that's mm. all he wrote, and so it's in really big letters, which makes it funny, too. And, of course, people got on there and said, um, no, corn is not keto, corn is not low-carb, because they thought that he was, you know, even though he said, is baby corn, baby corn, low-carb, they just saw sure. corn, or maybe they don't even realize that those little tiny baby corns that you get in Asian cooking sometimes, those little miniature, those little miniature corn cobs, that's, they're totally different than sweet corn, that okay. you get in a can or sweet corn that you husk and boil and eat with butter, which none of us are going to eat that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's somebody that's ketogenic that does 50 grams of carbohydrate and eats half a cob, but it's not worth it. You know, corn, sweet corn is very high in carbohydrate, but baby corn is not. Mm. Baby corn, I, I've got a jar right here in front of me. Baby corn, um, it's it's got like... I even went on the uh, USDA.gov uh, site because that's that's that they have really good information there. I I've consistently, yeah. yeah, it's um, nbb.nal.usda.gov, uh, okay. and you can put nice. any amount of food in there and any type of food. Anyway, they had four net grams of carbohydrate per 130 grams. It was like. Um, and wow. that's what my jar says. That's basically what my jar says. They're pretty low carb. Like two thirds of a cup of baby corn is only four grams of carbohydrate. Wow! Because they haven't had the opportunity to make the carbs yet. Right. I mean, it's very, very immature. They're not sweet tasting. They taste a little bit corny, like you know, a corn tortilla would. But um, yeah. no, they're. And so we went back and forth on here, and a bunch of us were having a lot of fun with it. Some people. Um, you know, got a little bit serious and said, hey, you know, you better not eat corn, and that's <laughs> not a good idea, and it's a grain, and keto grains are not keto, and and we kind of just kept kind of saying, you know, it's really not corn, it's not like sweet corn, it's different, and I took some photos of my um, nutrition label and the, and the baby corn itself so people could see what we're talking about, and then wow. a couple of people are like, oh, well, I think I'm going to maybe have some of that then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. I didn't no. know... Yeah. The, the reality is baby corn is corn. Oh, yeah. It's literally baby corn. It's super <laughs> early in its in its life cycle. It's like zygote corn. <laughs> um, and it, but the reason I it's so low- I love that word, co- zygote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know, um, Sounds important. The reason it's so low carb is um, it, the, the kernels haven't matured. They're right. Uh, they haven't had a chance to develop their sugars. So you're pretty much eating a stalk of corn. Like the part you don't eat. Fiber. It's really, a, there's a lot of fiber in these. This this has four grams per two-third cup, and, and there's about four grams of carbohydrate. Mm. This little jar here that I have is a pretty good-sized jar, and it has a serving and a half in it. So this whole jar is only six net grams of carbohydrate, which is pretty low. Yeah. But you know what? They really aren't that, like, super great tasting or anything, I'm going to be honest. Um, somebody got on here and said, uh, I think they kind of taste a little corny, but they kind of also taste like dirt. 
that was a good description. Yeah. They kind of have, they do. You're they right. taste a little bit like dirt. They do. They have that dirt taste like when we used to eat potatoes with the skin on, you know? But sure. they, I threw some of the deep fryer last night, though, and they were pretty good. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Richard, do you remember in last week's show when I talked about the keto bread? Oh, yeah. And we were talking about a corn essence, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What if you blitzed the baby corn into the batter for uh, almond bread, which I made, which right. I talked about last week? And now you've got a little corn flavor and you've got the consistency of cornbread. That actually might be good. There are mm. recipes right on this is baby corn, low carb. There are recipes right on here for tamales and cornbread and stuff where people have Tortillas? done that. Wow, what a great idea. <laughs> Mind blown. Tamales, tamales, tamales. You yeah. can make the masa with them and, wow. and, and cornbread. Oh, I love tamales. Oh, corn chips, fried corn chips. One of our mods, Gabor, he said, mm-hmm. do not blend it unless you want to increase insulin response. So, oh. yeah, and I said, and I asked, oh, I trust, he's a, isn't he the geneticist? Oh, I mean, I told Gabor's, him. Yes, it is. Brilliant. Yeah, I know. And if he says something, I'm paying attention, and I've told him that before. Okay. But, um, yeah, he did. He said, if you blend it, you increase insulin response. It makes a little bit of sense because it. You know, well, we don't eat apples, but if you eat an apple, it's going to be a slower response than drinking apple juice. Well, or applesauce, yeah. But part of that's the fiber loss. Yeah, it's breaking down the cellular walls. Okay. So I don't know. But I'm not too worried about it because if I do eat baby corn, I literally mm-hmm. only eat a few pieces. Last yeah. night I ate like four pieces. Oh, yeah. Throw it in a stir fry. It was kind of fun. It was something a little different, and I got to throw it in my deep fryer, which I always, you know, everything goes in the deep fryer over here right now. So <laughs> anything that can go in the deep fryer goes in there. Brenda is like the culinary version of Will It Blend, but it's <laughs> Will It Deep Fry. I know, Will It Fry. <laughs> yeah, it's like ghetto deep frying. I don't know. Hey, have you guys deep fried broccoli? Seriously. No. Broccoli. Fresh broccoli. Good. Okay. Broccoli. You take oh, that's fresh good. broccoli and duck fat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it ha- well, that'd be good. No, uh, beef tallow or pork lard, and oh, yeah. deep fried at about three sixty five Fahrenheit. Um, the the top, the little florets on the broccoli, the little buds get crispy when you deep fry the broccoli, and the broccoli, the stem part gets tender like it would if you steamed it. But those little buds get all crispy. Oh my, so good. <laughs> Dipped in butter. <laughs> if you didn't like broccoli. Or Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts in the deep fryer. Oh, my goodness. Yum, yum. And Tom Seast is the one that's He's another mod. He turned me on to the, the Brussels sprouts. So that's like once a week lately since Tom told me about it a few months ago. Brussels sprouts in the deep fryer. Yeah. It's like candy. I'm telling you. Yeah, I've still yet to convince Julie to eat Brussels sprouts. She uh, she was told when she she grew up in England and they have school lunches there, hot school lunches. Oh, did they force her to eat them? She had a school matron stand over her, insisting oh. that she finish off her, oh, her Brussels sprouts. Oh, and she basically terrible. put a foot down. I don't believe in forcing kids to eat. Food. I did no. never make well, my kids. Especially not Julie because she's extremely stubborn. And oh. She just said, I will never eat them. And she, she is held to that. So. But you know what, though? I, I hated Brussels sprouts because they were always boiled to death and right. no Mushy. flavor. Oh, yeah. Mushy, bitter. bitter. Yeah, exactly. And then I went to a steakhouse and had them broiled in oil. Oh, oh wow. yes. I've been converted ever since. Roasted vegetables. They're so good. Yeah, any vegetable in a broiler with olive oil, salt, right, and pepper. Right, right, right. Roasted or grilled, yeah. some of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> uh, Mr. Morris, I believe you have a, a piece of mail that you want to read as well. Yeah, so I've actually got two pieces of mail. Oh. One is from the old, Ooh. and that's our Facebook group, and one is from the new, which is the forum. Which launches so, today at ketogenicforums.com. Yay! Woo. Exactly. Yeah. So the old one is from Juha Kankanpa, and he says, got some good news this week and want to share it with people who understand what I'm on about. I'm a type 1 diabetic for 28 years. About six months ago, I was told that if my kidney function continues deteriorating as it has in the last two years, I will be on dialysis or need a transplant within three years. About five months ago, I started my journey on a ketogenic diet because I wanted to get better control of my blood sugars and also to be better prepared for endurance runs. He's an endurance runner. Yeah. And uh, he says... At that point, I wasn't even thinking about my kidney function until I read somewhere that there has been cases where people managed to get some improvement with ketogenic diet. So, he says, this week was my moment of truth. I got my test results back, and to everybody's surprise, my kidney function is now normal. Normal. At normal level. Wow. <laughs> That's so great. He says, the kidney specialist couldn't believe it. She was simply saying that she has never seen this kind of thing happen before. Wow. Happy days and keto on. Keto Happy on. Happy days and keto on. I'm speechless. That's awesome. Think about it. Jason Fung is a nephrologist, which is a kidney specialist. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, a lot of nephrologists have made their way to the ketogenic diet. And it's funny that um, a doctor that I had in the 90s or something like that, I went to an HMO. I know, the ultimate evil, mm. right? Um, <laughs> and and she said, yeah, as far as the low-carbohydrate diet, we, we don't know what the long-term results are on kidneys, and it could be bad for your kidneys. And that scared me. And yeah. uh, as it turns out, it's exactly the opposite. A well-formulated ketogenic <laughs> diet is wonderful for your kidneys, gives your kidneys a break. There is actually some science here, but it's in mice. And this was uh, from Charles Mobbs, who has, uh, and we'll link this paper in the, in the show notes. Uh, and he found that he was able to completely reverse diabetic nephropathy, which is diabetic kidney disease, yeah. with a ketogenic diet. Isn't that great? Uh, so, so there is evidence behind this, so, uh, but not a lot of evidence in humans. But uh, Juha is certainly uh, a, a shining example of an evidence that uh, a ketogenic diet can help uh, for kidney damage. As a matter of fact, I saw, an, and I don't want to take away your thunder here, but I have another one from uh, Kathy in Two Keto Dudes Facebook groups. And she said that my story is that I was diagnosed with diabetes around 14 years ago when I was 36. I've tried many things to keep the progression of this insidious disease at bay. You name it, I've tried it. But in the last couple of years, my glucose levels crept up while I happily pretended it wasn't happening. However, you can't ignore it when you have horrible pains in your feet and you can't focus your eyes properly. I watched my grandmother have both totally. of her legs amputated as a result oh, wow. of undiagnosed diabetes, and I wasn't prepared to suffer the same fate. So I took myself back to the doctor and had the usual raft of blood tests that resulted in yep. HbA1c of 9.7. Ooh. My doctor told me to look closely at my diet. No bread, pasta, or other heavy-duty carbohydrates. I took the medication, which is uh, Combiglize. I don't know what that is. 
It's uh, a combination of metformin and a DPP inhibitor. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a common uh, diabetic. Okay, drug. so she said, I took that medication for six weeks and then ditched with my doctor's approval. <laughs> uh, four months after the original A1C, I have tested at 5.5, which is considered wow. to be non-diabetic. Booyah. Coincidentally, I needed an abdominal scan for another issue, and the radiographer told me that it was great she could see my internal organs so clearly... And so I had no fat around them. Yay. Wow. And that's just months. A couple months later, she had no fat. She had been diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease only a few months beforehand. So there you go, Richard. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, it's not proof, of course. It's an anecdote, but... That yeah. falls in line with what you're saying with the with this uh, research. That uh, just in a couple of months you can clear up all that visceral fat that's around your organs. I cannot wait to get a DEXA scan and see what mine is now. Oh, I have not done it yet. Can't wait. So I had my DEXA scan. Oh, uh, nice. I'm actually showing. I'm showing the piece of paper, and uh, my uh, my lean body mass was a. Uh, was almost two kilos heavier than I thought it was. So, uh, so I'm actually a lot more. De- I'm a lot more dense than I thought I was. Yeah, more muscle. Julie's been telling you for years. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't listen. <laughs> I have been told this for years. And the other thing is that my body fat was a lot lower than I expected. My body fat's 25 percent, and I thought it was like 27 percent. So, Richard, um, you got to scan those and post them online so that we can see your DEXA scan <laughs> results. Will you do that? I'll think about it. <laughs> you must have scanned those into um, the, the mod group. I thought I saw your DEXA. Yes, I, I shared it with Tom and with everybody in the mod group. You know your keto when you bring your DEXA scan to your Christmas party. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, true. I can't wait to get one. That's all I asked for for Christmas. Hey, speaking of parties... I hope you listener out there are enjoying our holiday episode of uh, Two Keto Dudes and Dudettes. And uh, here's to you. Cheers. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have a second uh, mail, and yeah. that is from our new ketogenicforums. Mm. Exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. And this is, we've, we've had about uh, 200 people from our Facebook group Join the ketogenic forums. Which we didn't expect. We didn't expect. No, I expected maybe a dozen people. We'd just test yeah. a few things out, but they all they all wanted to be part of it. And so uh, they've been there creating lo- lots of content, lots of great stories. And Kim's taking a selfie. I took a selfie. <laughs> Kim just took a selfie. Like... <laughs> I knew. Carl's already posted in Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, Richard, go ahead. So this one is actually from Jan on the ketogenic forums and she posts in the health menopause forum and she says, keto menopause rocks. Hmm. Thought I'd start off this topic by saying I was keto all the way through menopause and keto really seemed to help. My worst symptom was hot flashes and when I get clusters of flashes, I found that upping the healthy fats reduced the hot flashes a lot. Awesome. Whenever I started having clusters, I realized that I'd been slacking in my fat consumption. I didn't have a lot of the other symptoms that I hear about with menopause, no mood swings, no physical discomfort other than hot flashes. I feel like I sail through menopause and I consider it because of keto. I wish I'd done it years before, right right after my last baby, because I actually feel pretty good without cramps, acne, bleeding, headaches, backaches, and mood swings that characterize PMS. Wow. I haven't lost any weight since I went from perimenopause to officially menopause, 
but I consider it a huge victory that I haven't gained any either. Yeah. Menopause is a great time to keep calm and keto on. Yay! Yeah! What do you think of that? Wait, I got a round of applause, right? <laughs> you know, my .NET Rocks listeners know exactly what this is. I got a couple of hands that uh, clap when you shake them. That, uh, oh, the little plastic me. one, I should know. Yeah, little plastic hands, right. <laughs> yep, yep. Hand maracas. Hand maracas. Right. The clappers, we call them. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really is amazing that, uh, you know, there's so much hormonal shift uh, when, with keto that it, it it's not surprising. It is exciting, but it's not surprising yeah. that, that she experienced such a, such a change. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, women often have a problem with uh, keto that men don't have has to do with this, you know, they go through four discrete cycles every every month. Uh, and and with men, you basically, you stop eating carbs and that resets your insulin and you just basically get set into a glide path and you go on for six months or so and then you, you, you stop losing weight because your body's come back to a healthy point. Whereas for women, every 28 days, you go through four discrete cycles that, that mess things up and change things about. And so it becomes a little bit more complex. I suspect one, uh, once you're in menopause, it's a lot simpler environment. And so uh, it may be that, uh, that women in, that, that who are, are in menopause uh, might find it a little bit easier to lose weight on keto than, than premenopausal. But, I, would, um, I would suggest yeah. that that is probably offset by the fact that it becomes almost like a Herculean task to lose weight after menopause. Uh, right. Some of the hormonal shifts that seem to happen mean your weight suddenly feels like it's you know a boulder that you cannot yeah. lift and move. So while the hormonal uh, fluctuations are more stable, though still somewhat fluctuating, I think um, uh, any benefit that gives uh, doesn't give it in the right direction. Right. You know, I'm a huge fan of public radio, and one of my favorite podcasts is Freakonomics. Oh, yeah. Mm. All right. I love it. Yeah, it's a great book as well and a series of books. And they've been doing this series called Bad Medicine, in which they talk about how, you know, medicine and big pharma doctors and everybody have got things wrong. And it's fascinating. And they've done series on it. But if you listen to Bad Medicine Part 1 or Part 2, I can't remember which one it was. One of the stories in there was how studies that have been done about health and the effects of, you know, medicines or whatever usually don't include women. Yeah. Right. They're all done on men because men are simpler medically and biologically. They don't have periods. They don't have the hormonal issues. They don't have menopause to deal with. So they don't have all these things that sort of interrupt. Pregnancy. The, uh, yeah, pregnancy and all these things that have to be taken into consideration. So most drug trials are done on men only. Isn't that fascinating? Like statins, for example. That's not surprising at all. It, it really is. I think also I listened to the same series and it was really interesting. Um, one of the things that you'd think they, what's been changing is they've been saying, okay, well, you can't release a drug until we've also tested it on women, um, which right. is... Uh, but they test first so, on men. So that's, you know, they're trying to mitigate the, the damage once it's on the market that women get unexpected <laughs> side effects. But the thing they're not doing is their first trials are still tend to be all men. So there might be um, 
things that never make it to market because if it's right if it doesn't help the men it's deemed not useful not viable i'm sorry kim not worthy but they don't test it but it might have like i it might have like you know perfected my microbiome completely but you right. would never it know. Been perfect for you. Right. You'd mm. never know. Right. They, there's no medicines out there that they're saying essentially, yeah, this one's great for women, not so good for men, because they never test those. Yeah. Isn't that sad? And on, on behalf of men everywhere, I apologize. Yeah, apologize. I, feel some, <laughs> right. I feel somehow responsible for that. It's okay. Yeah. I don't blame you. Sexism. Yeah, I know. It sucks. It really does suck. And, and as, as somebody who married a woman and who has four daughters, I totally get it. Right. It yes, sucks. Yes, you do. And not not to, to so we can change the the hot topic of sexism, but you know, a really interesting <laughs> part of that series I found was the was the um, criticism specifically of diabetes drugs. Do you do you remember that part? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, that that yeah. that essentially I can't, there was a really good word they used that I don't remember, but it was like I don't either. The issue was that all of these diabetes drugs that are coming on the market, the kind of testing they're doing is not actually um, statistic. It's like they're going on statistics rather than actual help. Like results. Yeah. For one, the issue is that they are testing um, perfect clients, right? So they take the the criteria for choosing who's going to be in the drug trial makes them unlike the majority of the human population. They're a subset. Yeah, absolutely. They usually fit people. Right. So you d- then you take this drug that helped fit people by 12% and you apply it to the normal average human population and it's like 0.2% help, which is like, well, that's yeah. not worth this side effects that I'm getting. Is it just me or, or, or does everybody notice how when one of those new diabetes drugs comes on the market and they're pushing commercials for it, about a year or two later, there's a lot, they're pushing commercials with lawsuits where people uh, are suing because they... <laughs> the no, ambulance really, chases. Over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other yeah. part that they were saying that's wrong with these studies is they'll do something like, oh, if you take this diabetes drug, um, you'll they're saying you'll have less risk of heart attack, Right. But they've never actually tested the direct correlation no. between heart attacks and taking this drug. What they've done is they've said, oh, this if you take this drug, it lowers this other biomarker. And we believe that lowering this biomarker leads to a lower risk of heart disease. There's there's right. no direct proof, no, direct no evidence. evidence. Yeah. yeah, There's a lot of this where they, uh, they, uh, they do a study to see what proportion of the population have different levels of this biomarker and then they determine what their mortality rate or their incident rate of the disease is and then they can they can basically build a, a, a correlation between you know if your blood glucose goes up by one millimole your opportunity or chance of having a lower extremity amputation goes up by 23 percent and then they say they basically conflate two things together. So right. they conflate something that lowers your your glucose and say, well, okay, this also lowers your opportunity or, or chance of a lower extremity amputation. And there's no direct link right. between those two. So, yeah, yeah, I hear it all the time. Why are they allowed to do that? Why oh. are they allowed to put a drug on the market like that? Yeah, that's a very good question, Brenda. Lobbyists is how they're allowed to do it. <laughs> Follow the money, as Tom Naughton says. Don't say the word conspiracy, though, or they'll say we're all nuts. 
It's not a conspiracy. No, you know, conspiracy is a word that implies that people willingly know what they're doing. And there's a very, very, very important, very important maxim that uh, Richard Camel and I say in .NET Rocks, which is never attribute to malice what can be explained with incompetence. Yeah, that's Hanlon's razor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say there's a name. And another way to say that is never attribute to malice what can be explained by just people's incentives. Right. And just basic incentives for wanting to keep my job, wanting to feed my family, wanting to make more money. Essentially, when you put all those things together in a big matrix, they turn into corruption. All right. One more thing I want to bring up before we get to, you know, the food part of our show, which is very important. Today. Not that we've not spent like 50 percent maybe so far on food. No, 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 no. <laughs> but let's talk about this great uh, news that the Noakes Foundation, Tim Noakes, yeah. has secured funding for a diabetes trial. That's a large scale diabetes reversal trial just involving food, not drugs. And he basically has uh procured 5.6 million South African rand in order to carry out research into the reversal of type 2 diabetes. And that is such good news for us and everybody else in this A movement. lot of that money comes from his books. He's put every single cent that he has made from writing The Real Mill Revolution, which, now this is a book I reckon, if somebody comes to me and says, what's an easy way to get started on a ketogenic diet? I give yeah. him this book because it gives you a list of foods, it basically gives you a traffic light list of green foods, amber foods, and red foods. Red foods you can't have any of, amber foods you've got to be have minimum of, and green foods you have as much as you want of, and it's a very simple way to get into it. But he, is, he has sold so many of these books that he has sold more books in South Africa than there are people who can read. Wow. So, and... How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. Magic. <laughs> but yeah. uh, every single cent that he has made from it has gone into, uh, into his Noakes Foundation, and that's, that's where it's coming out. Now, what about the book Good Calories, Bad Calories? I hear a lot of people read that book, and that turns them around into uh, a ketogenic, you know, Gary Tobbs. Good Calories, Bad Calories actually was one of the early books I read. I read it when I was actually low-carb but not ketogenic, and it it stayed with me and really spoke to me about things that I was maybe not doing correctly, but I have to say, um, I think it's an amazing book. I can't recommend it enough, but for me, it was much more a sociological book than a how to. Um, I definitely think, are you talking about good calories, bad calories? Yeah. Good calorie. Did I say the other book? Um, I think good calories, bad calories is an amazing book. Super interesting. Um, but, but, uh, his book, why we get fat, for me was much more of a, oh my gosh, like that is totally opening my mind to exactly what's going on in my body. Okay. Hey, Brenda, are you still lifting weights? Oh, absolutely. Twice a week. I was there on Tuesday and I maxed out another machine at 220 and nice. a couple of people walk by and they're just looking like, who are you? You know, <laughs> I, I love it. She's and a I beast. just feel, I can't, it's incredible how good I feel how energized I feel. I go in there 15, 16 hours fasted because I normally do intermittent fasting and I only eat between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. So when I go in there, it's, you know, 10, 11 in the morning, maybe 2 in the afternoon, and I haven't eaten for many, many, many hours. And I'm going around all these machines for about an hour, hour and a half, and 
lifting incredible stacks of weight, and I, I just, I'm so strong. I feel so good. Wow. It does an enor- it does an amazing thing for my mood. Um, I don't yeah. know when I did that podcast with you guys a long time ago, number twenty one. I don't mm-hmm. know if I talked about this before keto. I had this five hundred pound motorcycle, but after keto and I've been lifting weights, I I didn't really I wasn't really able to pick that thing up when it fell over, and now I pick it right up like it's a bicycle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like nothing. I'm 53 awesome. years old. There is, you know, I can't wait to get a DEXA scan. There is absolutely muscle there. Wait, one more thing. One more thing. Okay. I went in this week. I had, um, I was, I was into to see my doctor, and they always take your blood pressure when you first get in there. Right. And yeah. I mean, I, I look, I look fairly, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of average weight. A uh, fifty-year-old woman, but you're not going to see it. It's in Minnesota. Come on, it's you know <laughs> really cold out. I got a lot of clothes on. It's freaking cold. <laughs> you're not going to be able to see any muscle on me, you know. And women, anyway, they kind of hide their muscle under under um, pretty good amount of fat under their skin, anyhow. Even if you are lean. So she goes to put this uh, blood pressure cuff on me, and she grabs the regular size one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then she starts to put it around my bicep, and she's like, oh. Oh, I guess we need the bigger one. And I'm like, um, yeah, I think you yeah. do need the bigger one. You got some muscles, baby. I know. I know. And then, and I like to, and then I like to brag. I love to, oh, uh, yeah, I, I got quite a bicep there. And then I like to flex it. And then I like to, you know, would you like to feel it? I did that to Cassie and Dustin. We're sitting at a restaurant and we, it came up and I'm like, oh, you guys got to feel this bicep. I mean, really feel it. They reached across the table and kind of touched it with one or two fingers. I'm like, no, you really have to feel it. And I grabbed Dustin's hand and like put it on my bicep and I flex it. I'm like, you feel that? It's huge. <laughs> so yeah, it's, weightlifting so awesome. is an amazing thing. It really is. I, I feel so good. Hey guys, guess who just showed up? Who? It's Amber. Welcome to the party. Hi. How you doing? Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you. Happy Ramadan, you know, whatever it is you're celebrating at this time of year. Festivus. Festivus. Solstice. Yeah. Yeah, we're just geeking out here and uh, talking about keto and uh, in our year. And Brenda was just talking about lifting weights. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. What kind of weightlifting are you doing, Brenda? What kind of? Oh, Gee, I don't, I don't know. I just do my own thing, but I mean, I just just doing full body stuff. Uh, you know, biceps, triceps, abdominals. I I get into the the glutes and the quads, and I'm I'm pushing about 400 on on these machines. So I'm going to have to move over to the free weights because I pretty much, you know, max out all that stuff. But no, I I um I, I belong to a gym, and uh, I ask the trainers how to show me how to use the machines and. And pretty much uh, have been adding weight to them on a consistent basis. And she blows everybody in the gym away. I don't, I'm not following any particular program at all. I just kind of do my own thing, and it's working. So That's cool. So, Amber, did you get a, uh, a lot of good feedback on your show, Carnivore? Yeah, it was great. A lot of people wanted to hear more details about what is actually going on, how I eat, and whether or not I'm able to stay in ketosis when I eat all that meat and Great questions like that. And the short answer? Yes. 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 <laughs> I figured. Easily. I figured. Yep. Oh, yeah. I did zero carb for seven months and was very strict with it. And I, I really enjoyed that show, Amber. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was good. I'm definitely awesome. going to do it again. Yeah. It, it, it did a lot for me. You're going to start on the 27th? 
Yeah, Daisy was talking about um, uh, uh, doing zero carb starting. I thought in January, but the twenty seventh of December. Maybe I'm making starting rumors. You know. <laughs> Peer That's pressure. okay. I'm going to do it again soon. I really oh. enjoyed it. It 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 does um, teach you a lot about um, how foods affect you when you take so many different things away like that. It did for me. Yeah. And I felt really good on it. So. Well, that brings uh, our our show almost to a close, but we want to emphasize how awesome this new ketogenic forum is for not just conversation which we have on facebook but for being able to go into the area of interest that you are in and specifically talk to those people who have that experience that you have we had this um issue on facebook where we're trying to talk to the diabetics and the type 2 diabetics and the insulin resistant people and, you know, the, the, the keto gains people would come in and, and talk about, uh, you know, you need to... Their way of doing things. Yeah, their way of doing things, which is different for their body types, and it's perfectly valid. Um, and, and so th- the forum is an, a, a way that we can sort of segment those things, and everybody can get the advice that they need for their particular body type. Yeah, I th- think... The- I think the problem with Facebook is that it, it's not designed for information. It's designed to feed novelty, our desire for novelty. So, you know, yeah. you go onto Facebook and you're rewarded when you see something new. And Facebook knows that. And so what they do is they feed you something new all the time with adverts around it. And you're not mm. getting the information you're looking for. You're looking, f- right. you're going there for novelty entertainment. And so that's really why Facebook really didn't work for us because. I could spend an hour working on a post explaining uh, fat, for example, Um, saturated, unsaturated, and uh, fats and uh, trans fats, and explain all about uh, how they affect us, and post it on Facebook, and within half an hour it was buried by, by everything else that's new that's coming through. I've watched you write hundreds of those brilliant explanations, yeah. Richard. Hundreds of them. Not all brilliant. I've, I, I have an evolving uh, knowledge Mostly. as well. So I, some of the older things are, uh, were wrong. And I, okay. you know, I, I, I've evolved in my understanding of a lot of these topics. But uh, thank you for saying that, Bren. But, it, you know, it, Facebook really buried all of that stuff. And the forum is going to enable us to, uh, we, can, we can put posts on the forum that are going to, be there for potentially years we can turn posts into wikis so that we can allow other people to collaborate with us so for example that post that i did the other night about fat i can turn it into a wiki and then anybody can add to it and and extend it and uh and extend our understanding of uh and you know i think what we ought to do richard is next week talk about how to get around in the forum and talk oh, about some of the keyboard okay. shortcuts and how, that, how yeah that's a good idea i was just thinking it's a lot like you know when i was a carb eater a carb burner i would open the <laughs> fridge because i was like i know i want something and you'd stand there right. and you just stare at the fr- stare into the abyss of the fridge <laughs> seeking what you want but you don't know what you want in our house it's the carb closet <laughs> you have a carb closet, Carl? But there's things, and suddenly you're like, I have been in the fridge, like, all afternoon. That's Facebook. So yeah. when you're, once you're keto, you know, it's like, I know I need more sodium. I'm going to go directly <laughs> for the salt. Um, <laughs> it becomes very clear, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Richard, Richard, I saved some of your posts, so I'll oh, send them did? to you. I saved, oh, thanks, I, oh, I did. I, I, <laughs> when I saw something that really helped me out, and you went through all the trouble of explaining it, oh, yep, uh, copy-paste into my stuff, yep. You got fans. 
that'd be nice to be able to repost in the new forum. <laughs> That's great because as as someone who also likes to sometimes sit down and write down a big explanation, it's really demotivating because you create all that value and then it's almost instantly gone. So then yeah. it makes you not even right. want to participate. So the new forum is right. really motivating in that way. Now I know if I write something that's thoughtful and people appreciate it, it's going to persist. And I also got to mention that this forum software discourse was written by uh, Jeff Atwood, sure. who was one of the founding members of uh, Stack Overflow, which is the number one forum on the internet. It's the biggest forum on the internet. Wow. And he has figured out the problems of Facebook and figured out the problems that people have in uh, communicating on such a medium and has custom tailored this software to addressing those problems. So this is something that people have thought deeply about. Uh, communication and how to how to how to raise up those things that have value so that you you see them when you go to to look for them right uh, it, it's just a brilliant piece of software this is why we went to the forum because we could see that there was a problem with Facebook it, it was okay when we had about 3,000 people ever since it's had more than 3,000 people it's been virtually unmanageable yeah. so um, so we needed to do it we had to do it and I recognize that for a lot of people it's going to be a change and possibly a scary change yeah uh, but we're hoping that we're hoping to bring a lot of people across to it and we're actually adding to the community because uh, we're bringing other Facebook groups over with us mm. uh, We've got one woman who runs a um, cancer with keto group on Facebook, yep. and she has uh, come over to uh, to moderate a cancer oh, nice. sub forum in the ketogenic forum. So, yeah. and we're hoping to do that with other groups. Is that yeah. Alex Hayden? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. funny. Right after your announcement, I mm. happened to notice that she archived her group for exactly the same reasons mm. that you did. She said, right. "This is just way too much management. Not enough mm. information is staying, and I can't do it by myself anymore." Right. It yeah. becomes exhausting. Right. Yeah. I was really scared to go into the new forum. I really did not know how to use it at all. Um, but it it gets easier as you go. Yeah, and it helps that yeah. people like Richard are posting how to. There's a whole yes. category called how-to, and uh, we're going to go into that on another show, of course. You do but not need to be techie to go there. No, you really don't. <laughs> and there's so many great features that you can learn and to utilize and, and help you along the way. That's what next uh, week's show is going to be all about. Oh, great. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're getting towards the end of the show. I think it's time for some... Recipes! Recipes! Recipes. 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 Amber did it. I heard you. Amber, do a little Barry White. Recipes. 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 Get Floyd to do it. Recipes. All right. We're going to have to do the fastest... Uh, you know, SmackDown recipes thing that we've ever done. I'm going to go first, very quick. I'm talking baked chicken wings, all right? Yeah. Amber will like this. Baked chicken wings, uh, you preheat your oven to 300 Fahrenheit. You get a big bowl. You get a dozen chicken wing segments. That's the, yeah, the drums and the blades, not the tips. Okay. Get a dozen of those. Get a half a cup of olive oil, a tablespoon of garlic powder, a quarter of a cup of grated Parmesan cheese, a teaspoon of salt, a tablespoon of cracked pepper, or, you know, 10 or 9 or 10 cracks. 
twists. You mix them all up in a bowl, you put them on a cookie sheet, bake them for 30 minutes in the middle rack, then you take them out, get a metal spatula and you scrape scrape the bottom, scrape the fond off, flip them over. They're going to be crispy mm, and fondy on the bottom. You know what I'm talking about, Richard. He's smiling. Oh, yeah. Amber yeah, knows. Good. You guys know what I'm talking about. I love chicken wings. All that, all that fond just creates this crispy stuff. Okay. So you flip them over, bake them for another 20 <laughs> to 30 minutes, and you take them out and enjoy. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. That's it. Nice. Quick recipe. So I've got a really quick one. In Australia, it's common, as you probably know in Australia, we have Christmas in summer. I know it's a little bit strange, but it's the middle of summer here. It's about 40 Celsius outside. so it's Put some shrimp on the barbie. And, yeah, we, 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 we actually only put shrimp on the barbie in adverts for the U.S. media. <laughs> like <laughs> Foster's <laughs> beer, right? It's like Foster's yeah, beer, yeah. yeah. Nobody drinks and it And like Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... Um, we uh, so we have uh, we have Christmas in the middle of summer, and we often have cool foods like, for example, we make pavlova, which is uh, Australia's uh, uh, national des- dessert. But the problem is, of course, pavlova is uh, egg whites and sugar. But there is a way to actually make uh, pavlova uh, without any sugar at all. You have to use erythritol stevia blend, uh, and uh, I'll put the recipe on our blog. I won't go into too much detail, but basically the trick to be able to get egg whites to go stiff, which is what you need to do, is to add cream of tartar to it. A little pinch right. of cream of tartar to some egg whites, whisk them up, and they hold their hold the air. And what I do, the technique that I use to make pavlovas, because if I was to put a big blob of this... Um, this uh, stiffened egg white mixture with with sugar in it, or with uh, erythritol stevia mix in the middle of a pan like you normally would with a pavlova, it would just go flat mm. uh, because it doesn't have the sugar caramelizing to hold the, right. the air bubbles up. Right. So what I do is I use a silicone ice block mold and I make individual portions of, uh, of meringue. And then on that I might put Kim's... Uh, a lemon curd, maybe a couple oh, yeah. of berries, or some whipped cream. Yeah. So that's my recipe. Uh, it's a simple Australian classic, which is the pavlova. Awesome, Richard. Kim, you're next because you're you're fading on us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Need to go I, home and sleep. I I have a recipe uh, in honor of Christmas, uh, an eggnog panna cotta. So Ooh. I just want to say. Uh, yeah, I make a lot of panna cotta. It's a fabulous uh, keto dessert, but this one is eggnog specific for the holiday. Um, so what I do is I take about a cup and a half of heavy whipping cream and put it in a saucepan, adding about a half cup of water or some type of alternative keto milk, like an almond milk, a coconut milk, a macadamia nut milk, something like that to thin it down a little bit. Um, bring it to a low boil over medium heat. Um, and then you can uh, take it off the heat while you then whisk four large egg yolks, no whites, just yolks, with about a half a cup of sweetener. I use a swerve sweetener. I use the powdered swerve. I think it's just easier to incorporate. Yeah. Um, and you whisk that for quite some time just to get it like a thicker, paler yellow than the yolks start out. Then you're going you're gonna to heat that to treat it a little bit. So you're going to pour a little bit of the hot milk into the egg yolk mixture and and stir it, whisk it really well so the eggs don't cook. And then you're going to then pour that uh, half and half egg yolk milk mix or cream mixture 
back into the hot pan and, and whisk it constantly, turn the heat back on and stir it until it thickens up a bit, like thick enough to coat the back of a spoon. Yeah. Um, so then you're gonna remove that pan from heat and stir in all the remaining cream except for a half cup of cream. You're gonna hold aside about a half a cup of cream. So the total amount of cream you're using is about three and a half cups. And oh, I'll okay. give this recipe to be posted. <laughs> nice. Um, so you're, you're reserving about a I half cup that. of cream, pouring it all that but that half cup. And then you're gonna add um, about between two and four tablespoons of rum and some freshly grated Ooh. nutmeg to taste. Nutmeg? Yeah, nutmeg and rum. <laughs> and you could- That's for the authentic eggnog flavor. I won't yeah. say that sometimes I've added more rum than that, but I will tell you somehow <laughs> I know it will still work. So then on the side, you've got this cold cream left, about a half a cup. Really, it could be a quarter, just somewhere around a half a cup. And you're going to add about a tablespoon of gelatin to it. I use uh, the grass-fed Greg's Lake gelatin, but you could use any gelatin, really. And you're going to stir that in there to, to make it uh, incorporate. Then you're going to take that gelatin cream mixture and put it in with the rest of the stuff because you're you're adding it to the saucepan uh, cream mixture. And you're going to cook that a little bit. You're not going to boil it, but you're going to get it warm again while you're stirring it. Get that gelatin really incorporated. And then you're going to strain it through a sieve, a fine mesh sieve into a cool bowl. And then you're really done. Now you have to just put it in whatever vessels you want. So you can pour it into little pretty teacups that you then chill, um, or you can pour it into like a, a mold of some kind and pop them out and serve them on a plate. They need about three, four hours to chill. And I find them amazingly delicious with some barely sweetened, softly whipped whipping cream because there wasn't nice. enough in the yeah, panna cotta. Right. Sure. Is panna cotta like pudding or is it like a custard or what is it like? Panna cotta is a, is a traditional Italian dessert and it's it's like a custard but it's harder. It's more along the lines of a flan than like a, than like a, oh, sure. cre like a, a creme brulee which is going to be softer. Sure, I that. Okay. So it's, it's definitely a firmer dessert nice. which is why you can put it in a, a mold and, and, and have it sit on a plate and it will stay in, in its mold form. Yeah. It's wobbly. Yeah. It's like jello. It's like fancy jello with cream. <laughs> so yeah, that's my recipe. Okay. Hey Brenda, it's your turn. I have keto fudge. Keto what? fudge? <laughs> no. Isn't that a contradiction in terms? I know, doesn't it seem like it? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you just take a half cup of butter, grass fed would be a good idea. You know, you take a half cup of cream cheese, um, a quarter cup of coconut oil, and those three things should be room temperature and softened. Then you uh, add a quarter cup of heavy cream, three tablespoons of cocoa powder. I like to use the Hershey's Special Dark. A teaspoon of almond extract, a teaspoon of vanilla extract, a pinch of salt, and then whatever sweetener you want. I use the liquid stevia drops I get at Trader Joe's, and I just keep putting drops in there until it's as sweet as I want it. Okay. And basically mix it with a hand mixer, um, and then I stir with a spoon. I'll stir in uh, maybe about a... A uh, half a cup of walnuts, black walnuts. I've also used pecans. Yeah. And basically what you have is um, it's kind of, it, 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 it's really a, 
kind of like a cream cheese frosting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then you spread that in a dish and freeze it or chill it until it's firm. And you can cut little pieces of fudge. And it's, uh, mm. I think, yeah, I've, I've made it and cut it into 16 pieces that are probably about a half inch square. And uh, it figures out to less than a gram of carbohydrate each. Oh, that's each. great. Nice. nice. And you find that's a really good thing to eat after a meal? After a meal or, yeah, that's usually what I do. And um, it's so rich. Mm. I normally don't eat any more than uh, two pieces yeah. because it's just that rich and you've had enough. Yeah. Even they're little pieces, sure. but it's, it's pretty nice. Packs a punch. Awesome. Well, Amber, are, are you going to, is your recipe just bones? Because I, <laughs> I saw your video. Oh, my God. I saw your video. It's like girl. Your video was, uh, and I can't remember if it was Facebook or YouTube or whatever, but you say, hey, you know, if you cook chicken bones enough, you can just eat them. And you're just chomping down on chicken bones. Oh, really? That's cool. Wow. Wow. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> the smile on your face was priceless, though. <laughs> This recipe is more festive, and it's very similar in theme to Kim's recipe. It's super lazy Christmas morning eggnog. Ooh. And all you do is just have a cup of heavy cream, and you stir in two egg yolks until they're blended. And then whiskey is my (laughs) recommendation. One or two ounces. Wait a minute. Which kind of whiskey? I like like this girl. Are you talking scotch whiskey (laughs) or or bourbon? I like, yes. I like the peaty, smoky stuff. Lafroy's my favorite. Oh, like a Lagavulin or a Lafroy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that will will make the rest of your Christmas morning much easier. (laughs) Where where does she live? I think I might show up over there. Boulder, Colorado. Come on over. Oh, my goodness. I know exactly where I've been there. All right. It wouldn't take me too long. We'll be near there in February, actually. Yes, that's true. That's true. We'll be in Breckenridge. Somebody's going to bring a bottle of scotch, and it might be me. I'm just saying it may or may not be. but Could well be. Well, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas, you guys. Merry Christmas, everybody. Season's greetings. And thank you for the past year, everybody, all of our guests, all of our listeners. uh, Carl and I have had a wonderful time over the past year, and uh, we're looking forward to doing it all over again in 2017. That's right. And with your help, we can uh, change the world. I think 2017 is going to be the year that uh, everybody realizes that keto is a thing. And uh, it's going to go mainstream this year. Well, keto blessings to all. Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, everybody. Keep calm and keto on, guys. Cheers. All right, and we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. And three Keto Dudettes. Yeah! Yeah!